This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I want to encourage you, if you have your copy of God's Word with you, to open it to Matthew chapter 3. This morning we'll be looking at verses 1 through 3. I'm beginning this morning a series on the kingdom of heaven. The good news of the kingdom of heaven. We'll be looking at the gospel of Matthew as we explore this theme of the kingdom of heaven. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to be thinking about why is the kingdom of heaven good news? What is the kingdom of heaven? How does the kingdom of heaven come? What does this mean to us? And how does that impact us? So this morning from Matthew 3, 1 through 3, we're going to think about the message of the kingdom. Now, this is the heartbeat of the gospel, that Jesus died and rose from the dead to inaugurate the kingdom of God here. We're going to pick up after Matthew has finished the birth narratives. There's an abrupt transition from verse 23 at the end of chapter 2 where he speaks of Jesus living in Nazareth to fulfill what the prophets said, that Jesus would be a Nazarene. Then there's a, a time gap. Where John then is brought to our forefront, John the Baptist that is, as Matthew says beginning in verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. May God be glorified in the reading and hearing of his word this morning. I think there's one thing that we all, well there's many things we all share in common, but one is every now and then we all just long for a break from things, don't we? A chance to get away, a chance to to relax, a chance to put away our worries, our concerns, and to to re-energize a little bit and feel a sense of renewal. You can Many of you my age can remember the old commercials for Calgon bath powders. Calgon, take me away to get away from things. But you know, even in our plans to get away, they often don't work out quite like we think. Remember there was a period when my children were growing up that any time we went on vacation, the very first thing we did was locate the nearest walk-in first assist clinic. Because we went through a period... In fact, my wife and I were remembering these yesterday as we were reflecting. There was a time and we'd gone to Texas to visit some old friends there in this town of Blum. And my son Samuel was bitten by a stray cat. So we'd go into the first assist clinic to see what that's all about. Our daughter Ellen had a bike wreck while we were camping that required a visit to the ER. She, when we were in Florida one time, fell while she was walking on a boardwalk and had a splinter so deeply embedded in her knee We went to the first assist clinic. There was a vacation where all the kids came down with strep throat. The vacation where Jody had a sinus infection. As you can see, we would find the first assist clinic quickly because we wanted a break from life. But it always doesn't work out. Did you ever get that feeling that sometimes we we want a break and to find peace and just some rest? But life's like a restaurant that says we don't have those on the menu. It's a longing for what in literature is called utopia. 
phrase utopia was coined by Sir Thomas More in the book by that same title in the year 1516. The word utopia comes from two Greek words. You, meaning good, and topos, meaning place. Thomas More wrote of a place to fulfill what we were longing for. The ideal society where there would be peace, joy, no strife, no pressure, no stress. Where society would be how we long for it to be. Now there have been attempts to bring utopia about. I wouldn't take the time this morning to survey all of them, but just to mention two of them. In 1848, John Humphrey Noyes, Noyes found a community called the Oneida community. In fact, for a long time, this community was known for their china, fine china they made. It was supposed to be utopia, but it didn't work out. In the year 1900, John Alexander Dowie founded the city of Zion, Illinois, just north of Chicago. The city where sin was literally outlawed. And John, David, John Alexander Dowie walked around dressed as a high priest based on the Old Testament garment to ensure that sin stayed out of the city. You can imagine how that worked. None have succeeded. That's because the lives that we long for, the society that we want, is only found in the kingdom of God. That's the only place where it will be found. Now, Matthew refers to the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven. He did that for two reasons. First, Matthew was written to a primarily Jewish audience. And so because sometimes the Jews at that time would have a hard time hearing the name of God used like that, it's believed that Matthew then used heaven to represent God. We do that today often in reference to the president. We may say, well, the White House issued a statement today. It's a way of saying the president has issued a statement, but we use the phrase the White House. We recognize those as the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is the same thing as the kingdom of God. And it's also, and this is the second reason Matthew uses that terminology. It's a reminder that the kingdom of God transcends this earth. It's more than just what takes place here. The kingdom of God, if you were to define it, is the manifestation of God's reign. Now, we know that God reigns supremely. Now, Chris read verses earlier as how God is enthroned upon the cherubim. That speaks of God's sovereignty, that God is in control. But the kingdom of God speaks of a time where his reign is made manifest so that there is no question of God's sovereignty. Now, this is a reminder also that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is not a political kingdom. It's not associated with any nation. It's not a military kingdom. Although there are people who have tried in the past and even in the present to make the kingdom of God those things. It goes far beyond those. The kingdom of God is not something that humanity can usher in. It's beyond us. And the message of the kingdom is good news. It's the good news of the gospel. And this message of the kingdom is indeed our message. Because notice in verse 1, it's very clear that John the Baptist came preaching. Preaching is proclamation. It's similar to what I do here. Making an authoritative statement, a, a herald as it were. And notice the content of what John is proclaiming. 
repent. Why should we repent? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's here. Now, the reason John says that becomes clear as you continue on in Matthew and the other Gospels. Because as John is preaching, what happens? And you see this in verses 13 through 14. Jesus shows up to be baptized. Now, the reason John says the kingdom is at hand is because if the kingdom is the reign of God, which it is, Jesus is the one who is manifesting that reign supremely. The kingdom of God comes about in the person of Jesus. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of God in his first coming. That's why in his ministry of miracles, you see that he is healing the sick. He is freeing those who are oppressed by demons. He is even bringing the dead back to life. He is showing us what the kingdom of God is like. He is giving joy. He is bringing peace with him. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom. That is the message of Jesus, that the year of Jubilee is here. I love this scene described in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus has gone back to his hometown shortly after beginning his ministry. The rabbi of the synagogue in Nazareth asked him to read the scroll that day. A high honor. Jesus recognized as a, a traveling rabbi is given this honor of reading from the prophet and then expounding upon what the prophet says. I mean, in many ways, what they did in the synagogue is what we do now. They would read a text and then the rabbi would explain it and apply it. So Jesus, this one who is doing miracles, whose fame is spreading, is back home. And Don't you know his mom Mary was thrilled about that? The days before that, you could imagine her going around, hey, Jesus is going to be at the synagogue Sunday. That's right. That's right. My boy, you need to be there to hear him. It's going to be good. I'm to just get there early. That's all I'm going to say. Jesus takes the scroll of Isaiah. He reads that the day of the Lord has come when those who are oppressed the prisoner will be set free. When the blind will see. When the lame will walk. And the day of jubilee will come. Jesus would have rolled up the scroll and then he would have been seated to begin his teaching. But instead of teaching, Jesus said these words. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> The day of Jubilee is here. The kingdom of God has come. And in fact, this was so shocking to them because it's only the Messiah, the anointed one, who could usher in the kingdom of God that they try to run him out of town and throw him off of a cliff. They failed because it wasn't his time. And they could not quite the message. Because as Jesus came, he continued preaching this message. What did Jesus preach? Notice the same message. Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist preaches this. Jesus begins preaching it and even preaches it after the resurrection. After he has risen from the dead, Jesus presented himself alive to them. That's the disciples. After his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. And what did he do? Speaking about the kingdom of God. 
This is the central aspect of the message of Jesus. So not only is John preaching it, Jesus is preaching it. And guess what Jesus told his disciples to do? As he sent them out, he said, And proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you see that the disciples were faithful with this, not only as they went out in Matthew chapter 10, but even after the resurrection in, in Acts chapter 8. They believed Philip as he preached what? Good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, don't draw too great a division between the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus and Jesus Christ. Because why? They go together like peanut butter and jelly. You have one, you have the other. The kingdom of God is brought in by Jesus so that where Jesus is, is the kingdom of God. This continued in Paul's preaching. Paul enters the synagogue in Ephesus and he speaks boldly, reasoning, persuading them about what? The kingdom of God. That's the proclamation of the gospel that Jesus has ushered in the kingdom. Matthew, I'm sorry, Acts 28. When they had, and this is as Paul is in Rome. They had appointed a day for him. They came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. I would submit to you that this is a message not only preached by John the Baptist, by Jesus, by the disciples, but it is our message today. To preach that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated in Jesus. And that is why it is good news. Because now the kingdom of God is available for all who would believe. And it's what we long for. Why? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. You see, because Paul is writing to the Romans who are beginning to be judged and looked down upon. And these matters of what do you eat, what do you drink are taking more importance to the church the issues of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. So Paul reminds the church at Rome, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's making the point that I did earlier. What we long for is found in the kingdom of God through Christ. What the world longs for. Now, I know... This, once again, shows my age that I'm getting older. But one of, one, one of the songs that I love to listen to is a song by the group U2. Now, don't judge me. It's a song, it's probably one of their better known, known songs. Where the streets have no names. And I did some research into what was the meaning of that. It was written out of the recognition from their, their home country of Ireland that in Dublin, people would be divided in their socioeconomic status and be judged based upon the street where they lived. And that's true in every city, isn't it? Right now, if I were to ask you what are the bad parts of Johnson City, you would probably be able to identify that. Maybe even by the name of a street. In my hometown of Athens, we knew that. My, my father and my father-in-law grew up in North Athens. And let's just say North Athens, to call it the rough part of town, was being kind. And so the song was reflecting this longing where those divisions are gone. Where people are no longer judged by the street they live on. The money in their bank account, 
the color of their skin. It's the longing we have for utopia that is only found in the kingdom of God. That's why Paul emphasizes in Galatians that in Christ there's neither barbarian or freeman, Jew or Gentile, slave or freeman. He says all are one in him. Hence the proclamation of John in the wilderness. Notice where this preaching's happening. In the wilderness. Now in many ways, from a PR standpoint, that makes no sense. Because if you've got a message that the kingdom of God is at hand, where do you want to preach that? Jerusalem. You've got a city with populations of hundreds of thousands of people preaching. And if not Jerusalem, Capernaum. Tens of thousands of people there. But the wilderness? Keep in mind the wilderness carries with it a theological weight. It's not just about being in the wild area because wherever John was, there was water, wasn't there? He was baptized. He is John the baptizer. There's water there. It's not desert. It came to represent that which was, that was outside and neglected. That wilderness that we often find ourselves in. See, John is preaching at the place where we often find ourselves. And it's good news because guess what? The message of the kingdom comes in the wilderness. We can find what we long for even in the wilderness. And the amazing thing is, is guess what? People were hungering for this so much. They came to the wilderness. They left the population sites. Just like people are hungering for it today. The message of faith, hope, peace, and love that transcends this world. Jesus has brought that to us so we might enter the kingdom. But notice something. Notice the com one command, and it's found in verse 2. Repent. We must turn toward the kingdom. Now the word repent, and many of you probably have heard this before, comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of mind. But the biblical meaning goes a step beyond that. It's not just changing your thinking about something. It carries with it the weight of changing behavior also. Because I can know something is not good, but I don't work to change that behavior. Now, I've always been very forthright and open, nothing to hide, and I've shared with you at times my struggle with sweets, but my wife and I have discovered something that is very clear. If I go to the grocery store, and I'm anxious or stressed, I'm coming home with Oreos. Now, here's the point I'm making. I know, I know that's not good. But in that moment of anxiety and stress when I'm thinking, oh, oh, those cream-filled cookies would sure make me feel better. I forget what I know, and I begin to act in a way that I know that I shouldn't. Or at least that's what my wife tells me. Repentance is knowing that and working not to. Now, I'm not saying being perfect all the time, but I'm saying is knowing it and then working not to do that. Now, I also recognize that the word repent carries with it a very negative connotation. We hear the word repent and automatically in our minds we go back to the brimstone, hell and brimstone preachers that are just angry. And repentance in many of our thinkings 
has in our minds this negative view. But I would tell you that repentance is about life. It's turning from something that is deadly to something that is life. Repentance is turning from what will harm you to something that is helpful to you. But the devil wants to convince us that it's something different. Notice what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, the unrighteous will not be a part of the kingdom, will not experience the peace and the joy. They won't experience heaven. And just in case we wonder, who are the unrighteous? He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Because none of those things align with the kingdom of God. They are contrary to the kingdom. They bring death into a person's life. And then Paul writes, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That word, but, were washed, and such were, those are words of repentance. Turning from. So you see, repentance is not this negative thing. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's by, what? it's by God's grace we are able to repent and turn and strive for the things of the kingdom that are life. Dallas Willard put it like this. Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, I should say, he was a philosopher and theologian. and He grew up in southwest Missouri. And he said he can remember as a senior in high school, when he was a senior in high school, the Rural Electrification Administration extended power lines to his small hometown. Now he said this presented a challenge for the people. Because to receive the power lines meant opening up your life to a whole lot of things you'd never had before. You could work when it was dark now. It made preparing food and the storing of food completely different. But it also meant change. Turning from kerosene lamps and lanterns, from ice boxes and cellars, from scrub boards and rug beaters, to appliances that would be powered by electricity. It meant leaving behind some things to gain something better. That's the call of repentance. And it's the one thing that Satan wants to convince you and me we don't need. Because notice the command of this. It's at hand. Here. Now. Don't delay. There's a fictional story told of how the devil had a meeting with his head demons. And in this meeting, they were trying to strategize on how they could keep people from doing the very thing I just said, from repenting and seeking God. One devil stepped up and he said, I've got a plan. All we need to do is to convince them there's no heaven. Satan said, that won't work. Because deep down, humanity knows there's a heaven. They know that in the end, good and righteous will win out. So that won't work. The second demon stepped forward and he said, I've got a plan. We will tell them there is no hell. Once again, Satan said, that won't work. After all, they know that the, the wrong must be punished. They desire that. There's a sense of justice. So telling them there's no hell won't work. After a brief pause of awkward silence, a third demon stepped forward and said, I've got a plan. 
will tell them there's plenty of time. And Satan said, that's it. Don't hurry. You've got plenty of time to decide. Church, understand, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's calling for a decision to seek Christ. I want to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads with me. If you have never prayed to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, this morning I invite you to do just that. If you have questions about what that means or desire to do that, you can come forward and meet me as we begin to sing in just a moment. Or I'll be hanging around after the service, and if you would like to talk with me then, I'll be glad to. But keep in mind, this repentance is not just thinking and knowing the right things. It's turning from them and seeking Jesus. Seeking him. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, unless a person is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Have you experienced the newness of life brought by the Spirit? Father, thank you. Thank you for your kingdom. Inaugurated by Jesus at his first coming and will be consummated, brought to fruition completely at his second coming. Father, thank you for this. And I pray that you will draw us to share the good news of the kingdom, to share that, Lord, it's at hand in Jesus Christ. Grant these things, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.